Welcome to the flyfisher.co.za podcasts. I'm sitting in the living room with uh, Gary Glenn Young, who's been fishing for a while, I think from the early 80s. Gary, how are you doing? No, not too bad, Mike. How are you doing? Good. So tell us, when did you actually start? I started fishing when I was probably four. I think fishing is one of those things that e- either hooks you or doesn't. My father would take me out in East London to go catch moonies and puffer fish. And I, hell, I even caught a sole fishing at a place called Mermaid's Pool in East London. So I've always liked fishing. It's one of those things, outdoors and fishing and catching fish. Primary school, I did bait and a bit of art for bass. I think I caught my first try accidentally on probably a rubber frog or something, somewhere placed a little stream near Worcester. And then when I moved to high school, uh, I went to boarding school in Stellenbosch. And the East River flows right past the boarding school. And a friend of mine happened to fish. Timothy Schultz, Tubbs, he learned to fish in the towel. He didn't fish much in the week. He was a bit embarrassed that the girls at the local school could see him. He was a bit of a, he was a, bit of a romantic. I didn't care, so he got me into fishing. As soon as I knew there was trout in the river, that was it. Back in those days, you mail-ordered stuff from the fly fisherman in Maritzburg. Soon after, the rod ordered the vice, started tying, and I would fish the East River from Standard 7 through to Matric twice a week. So you lived in the Western Cape? Yep. Grew up in the Western Cape, started my fishing there. Easter, Lawrence, Lisbeck. Ah, I caught some good fish out of Lisbeck, actually. Small blower, horselet. Never really liked the horselets. Uh, up a small blower, fished a bit a couple of times. Okay, when was this? This would have been 88, I think. It was pretty much when I started my fly fishing. So, what kind of equipment do you enjoy? I uh, don't do the heavy stuff. I don't like lighter stuff. I used to have a Nortweight. Sold it recently. Too light can be a problem, in, 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 especially competition fishing. You, you can, it's fun to play around, but you want to land fish fast. and I, I focus on getting fish to the net and released fast as I can. So... I've always said if, it's, if it says sage or something that you can buy for confidence. They might not always make the best product. If it's not the best, it's probably in the top three. That said, for half the price, you can get something 95% as good as the best stuff, and that, I guess, would be sage and Simpson. There, uh, our national team sponsor, well, I get sponsored by Stealth, and Stealth give me a lot of products. I do a lot of product development for Stealth. The stuff from the forest is improving in leaps and bounds, and I have no qualms fishing Stealth products, well, we want to talk a bit about uh, yellowfish. We did an insert with Herman about uh, dry fly for yellowfish in winter. And I thought, uh, coming up to spring, summer's around the corner, might as well get a little bit more knowledge about shortline nymphing. So I thought we'd start off with uh, talking about the flies that are used, especially in shortline nymphing, um, that uh, the guys are using on the wild at the moment. You sort of said off, off mic that uh, what the guys do when they think they're shortlining, half the time they're not shortlining. A lot of guys who fish the vol, they do it very rough. Um, one thing that I do like, the fact that I learned to fish in Western Cape trout streams, is your approach and presentation is a lot more delicate than the guys who start on the vol. Guys can't see the fish on the vol, so they think that they're not spooking fish, but trust me, you spook a lot of fish on the vol that you don't realize. One thing a guy should do is potentially slow down. I fish fast, there's no doubt about that. Anyone who knows you will tell you, I work hard, I fish hard, we use hydration packs on the vol. There's no such thing as eating, stopping to... You don't stop to open a bottle, you have a hydration pack, you have a tube, you suck out the tube and you fish for 8, eight to 12 hours solid and that's it. 
and the more time you spend fishing, the more fish you catch. The reason I fish breathable waders the whole year round, two of the four, is, well, it gets me more fishing time. I can end fishing ten minutes later than the other guy who's got to get out, get back to the truck, take off his wet clothes, put on dry clothes and go home. I can get there, unzip, take it off and go home. So I get ten more minutes fishing, which can be three fish. So when you take it to that level, I fish a lot and fish hard. But when you approach the water, a lot of the guys rush into it. I mean, I've had situations where I've had guys fishing all around me and they climb on top of you when you start catching fish. It doesn't bother me, I fish behind them. You know, half the time the guys rush to the water and they don't let the fish settle. Yellows will settle quite quickly. And that's, for me, a lot of things. The guys find a nice piece of water, but they stumble on it, they don't approach it properly, they bump the rocks, they get to the water, and they start fishing it. Instead of waiting a minute or two, just checking everything's fine, and then fishing, the fish will settle down and you'll catch them. Well, elaborate that slightly. <coughs> You say we rush the water. What are you looking for when you look at a piece of water? Structure, pockets, anything with a currency, more breaking currency, anything slightly deeper, slight deflection, anywhere fish can hold that's slightly out of the main current flow. That can either be a side, side deflection or something on the bottom that just provides a bit of a current break. And depth is not too much of an issue, too. Anything from ankle deep to starting in the vault, shin deep to waist deep is perfect water for checking them But just simple things from, from the approach. A lot of guys change flies, move to a new piece of water, start fishing. Uh, that's awesome about face. If you get a tangle, well, you're going to change your fly, you move to the new position you're going to start fishing in, you stand exactly in the position you're going to cast from, and you then change the fly, fix the tangle. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think that we make a lot of noise in the river, and we really shouldn't be making as, half as much noise as we currently are. Because you can't see the fish in the fall, generally the guys don't think they're spooky. Uh, I mean, I've even been known to uh, fish behind guys, and at the end of the day, I as Herman told you, I keep score. Um, you know, if a guy's not paying attention, looking over his shoulder, I could land five fish behind you, and I can be ten meters behind you, and I won't, you won't hear a thing. I'll just land a fish, release a fish, and carry on fishing. And when I do land and release a fish, the same thing. If I can, I'll land and release a fish in the same position that I'm going to make the next cost from. So my feet aren't moving in that whole process. A lot of guys will stumble around and mess around. If I'm going to fish that same piece of water, my feet will stay still. Purely just to make sure the fish settle. Just little things like that to make the difference. Especially with short lining, because you're fishing close to yourself. Okay. Yeah, a lot of guys are saying the shorter rods. You know, a shorter rod is a more efficient lever. A longer rod gives you more reach, you can bend better. It's not as accurate. Can it cast further? Possibly not, but when you're short lining, it makes a huge difference from a, from a distance point of view. Short arm syndrome. I, I said to anyone, first of all, with a 9-foot rod, then borrow my 10-foot rod for 5 minutes, 10 minutes. Then let me give you your 9-foot rod back, and let's see, you'll come up with a foot short. It makes a huge difference. Line control, keeping the line for water, 10-foot rod's definitely the way to go. Quite a time. Yeah, well, it's just basically, you want to cover as much water as you can, you've got to get the flies to the fish, but you also want to make sure that you're as far from the fish as possible. Again, it just lets you cover more water, too. You can fish a far wider arc with a 10-foot rod than you can with a 9-footer, mm-hmm. unless you're Wellington. And then even that, a 10-footer makes a huge difference there, too. Oh, well, you start with two extra foot, yeah. Yes, makes a huge difference. Okay, but let's get back to the, where I originally questioned was, uh, let's start at the terminal bit and then work our way up. So what kind of flies are we supposed to be using? How big? What sizes? Are we using circle hooks or we're not? Circles? No. Guys are using circle hooks, and I'm very happy if they want to use circle hooks because uh, they catch less fish. Simple. I, when circle hooks first came out, I got circle hooks up to size twos and size ones and size zeros and I tied flies up on them and I kind of check them thin tippet too, we'll get to that now but greater sensitivity, thinner lines, thinner tippets and I can actually feel that I was connecting the fish and not hooking them. Circles are designed for bait fishing where fish will actively mouth the bait, turn and swim away with it and then a circle can make a difference but yellows aren't going to mouth the fly in the hole. 
The circles are big hooks. Those guys seem to like that. And they don't hook up on the bottom. So I started fishing circles and I thought, well, this could be a good thing. Nah. Now if you look at my fly box, you'll see that I don't fish a single circle anymore. I do modify a normal scud hook, if necessary, in a situation. I call myself a lazy tie, but I think that's more clever. I will tie all my flies and scud hooks, check them, and I tie all my, all my mayflies and scud hooks too. But all of them will be tied normal scud hook pattern. If I fish a piece of water where I think I need a, a hook that is like a circle for the control fly, the heaviest fly, because there's structure on the bottom and I don't hook up on the bottom, I would actually take my forceps and actually take the standard scud hook and bend the last three or four mils of the tip up at an angle. And you run it across your hand and you can actually feel if it hooks up or not. If it doesn't, that's, all you, that's what you need to do. And actually the profile ends up the same as the circle. In that situation, I'm prepared to fish the, the fly to get to the bottom. The fly is less likely to catch me a fish, but it's far less likely to hook up on the bottom, whereupon I'll have to roll cast or wade in to free the fly, which will then spook more fish. So it's purely a case of I will modify a fly as required on the river into a circle configuration to reduce the chance of hookups. But you'll find maybe five of them in my whole box. I mean, you, you spoke about the control fly. How heavy are those control flies? Don't give us grams. Now, look, weight mean, weight's actually meaningless too, because I've got friends who've tied up flies and they've been heavy. We can ignore the weights, but yeah, they've been heavy. But the things have been super bulky. Tied on circle hooks, bulky materials. Looked at these things and said, no hope in hell. Weight helps you once you're on the bottom, okay? Resistance to movement. So if the fly gets to the bottom and it's heavy, it'll then resist coming off the bottom again and stay there. But you want a dense, slim fly which gets to the bottom faster. That's the reason tungsten is brilliant. My flies are all compact. I've started moving into smaller flies than I used to be fishing. In the past, my flies used to be a formal gold-plated lead bead in the front with two full layers of 0.2 more lead, sorry, 0.2 inch lead, and size 8. Now I'm fishing three, three, three and a half more tungsten bead on a size 10 hook with two full wraps of, of 0.2 inch lead, and that makes a huge difference. Smaller fly, tungsten bead, it's more compact, it's denser, sinks faster. The other thing is also a lot of the guys fish the vol with, but even, they don't even use proper tippet material, they might use Maxima, which is fine for abrasion, but it's thick for its breaking strength. A lot of the guys are using stuff equivalent to 1, 2, or even 3x. A lot of the guys fish 3x as, as tippet. I'm prone to fish 4x, hell, even 5x as tippet. We've probably run into this a bit too quickly. We're probably thinking that some people know how to check nymph already, or short-line nymph. I mean, you're running a straight piece of nylon to the point fly. What's coming off the side? What other flies are you fishing in that, in that combination? You fish three flies, check them for Standard, your leader can taper as such. You might have a slightly thicker butt section, but generally a lot of guys are using leaders that are too long, too thick. I fish seven and a half foot leader from the fly line to the point fly. That tends to be 3x or 4x, hell, even 5x to the droppers. One of the simplest ways to do it is to take a straight piece of 4x from the fly line straight down to the point fly. And you actually, off that single piece, you tie, using surgeon's knots, you tie additional droppers onto that. Revolving droppers we used to use, but recently I've moved away from the revolving dropper idea. I will use a revolving dropper, which is a, a perfection looped line looped through itself and, and pulled tight onto a stock knot, to stop the, which revolves around the tippet. But I'll only do that if the other dropper, which is tied on the surgeon's knot, tied straight onto the main line, has got too short. Your control fly is either your point fly or your middle fly, and it's a dense fly. And it's pattern designed to imitate caddis, caddis pupa. So you're looking at light, light tan, light olive, possibly dark olive. Generally, they are trying to be quite imitative, but sometimes you look at a gold, gold bead on the front. But recently, I'm moving to black tungsten beads, which have a nice shine, but are more natural. I fish a lot of caddis pupa patterns in that position, and that's a dense fly. Tungsten, lots of weight, size 10. Big ones will be size 8. Really big ones in really fast water, you go to a size 6.
Above that, I fished the ubiquitous brassy. Years ago, going back in quite a number of years now, actually, started fishing a brassy. And fished, fished a lot with Herman, and Herman wasn't sure about this brassy idea. Herman resisted the brassy as long as he could. But some days, fishing a brassy above the control fly, that, that brassy imitates midge pupa, caddis pupa, emerging mayflies, a little bit of shine, a little bit of flash, and the, the yellows nail that brassy. I mean, some days you take 75% of your fish on the brassy. Uh, hot head brassies, those bright orange beads, have been quite popular too. And when they work, they work. I think a lot of the guys who think they're fishing check them properly, they fish a hot, a hot spot pheasant tail. A lot of the guys like that hot spot pheasant tail. And for me, the only reason they catch fish on that hot spot pheasant tail is because it's bright and the yellow is prepared to move and mouth it. And yellows, when they do eat something that's bright orange, tend to hit it quite hard. So it's a bit obvious. You know, your fly line vanishes upriver, there's obviously a fish on, and there's no problems there. But a lot of the guys, because they're not getting to the bottom, and they're not the fishing leaders that are too thick, flies that aren't dense enough. They might be heavy, but they're not dense enough, they're not fishing them right. Those flies aren't getting to the bottom, and that's where the yellows are feeding. So you've got to get fast to the bottom. A lot of guys are fishing with a rod downstream from the flies. Classic check them thing is tiring because your arm is out in front of you, elbow is up, possibly even higher than your wrist. And you're leading the flies, but only just. Literally, your, your rod tip is perpendicular above or just slightly downstream of your flies. And you have a straight line pretty much from your rod tip straight down into the water. A lot of the guys have this, they've got a 90 degree angle between the rod and the line, but the rod is canted over and is half a meter downstream of where the flies are. So they actually drag in the flies. And the thing with check nymphing, and I sometimes like to call it zen nymphing, is you have to stay in touch with the flies, but not in touch with the flies. If you are in touch, you'll know you're in touch, but if you pull in them, are you in touch too much? You're moving the flies, and naturally they're moving fast in the current, and that's when the fish won't attack. So you're in touch, not in touch. And the only way I can say it is you, know, do, you, you will know you're doing it right when you realize you were doing it wrong. It's uh, very similar to almost all other upstream dead drifting. If you're in touch with the fly and you're dragging it, thus you're not dead drifting. Correct. So what you're trying to be is as close to in touch as possible without dragging. And by having your rod directly, pretty much directly above where the flies are and going into the water, you have the shortest possible line between you and the fly, the shortest possible distance of the line in the water to the flies, which allows you to then maintain that, that degree of control. Lighter rods, delicate rods do help. Of course, the vols are a strange situation because nowhere else in the world do you really check them for fish that, you know, six, eight pound fish is not uncommon and the yellow is infinitely stronger than most river trout. You know, so you can't get away with fishing 6x tippet and smaller flies and a three-weight rod. You can do it, but it's a bit of a nightmare. So you're forced to fish heavier rods. I tend to fish the vol with a 10-foot five-weight. That said, I use a four-weight fly line on it. Again, sensitivity. I'll probably, if I could get appropriate fly line in a three-weight, I would actually fish an appropriate number to fly line in a three-weight, but they don't make it. Which brings me to the next question. How do you cast and control? I mean, you've said now that you keep your wrist up, you keep your shoulder up. Um, elbow. Oh. Elbow higher than the wrist. You basically got to lob this flies upstream, quartering upstream. I, tend, I can fish with both hands. So I, I, I normally fish left-handed, but I've been known to fish right-handed too in the right situation. And you basically want to lob this flies upstream You've got a seven and a half foot, eight foot leader. Between distance between flies about a foot and a half. You've got three flies on there. And you quarter it 45 degrees upstream. You, you don't have tension on it. Basically, the flies must land unhindered. As soon as they do, you pretty much drop your rod tip to the water, just to allow them to sink. As soon as they hit the bottom, you lift the rod up again, and you want to stay just in touch. I need you to explain that a bit better. Unhindered. So what you're doing is you're kind of making a, a Tuck cast, cast. but you, you're not casting that far. You're pretty much casting a couple of, maybe a meter of fly line, 
and an eight foot leader. The length of the rod, basically. Yeah, I understand the log portion. You're just trying to get a bit of hair in them, and then you're tucking it at the top, and thus they're all coming down on top of each other. And you drop the rod tip to help with second heat, and as soon as it hits the bottom, you lift the rod tip up, and you've got to stay just in touch. This allows you to fish all around you. That's the thing. You know, if you weigh it slowly, take your time. When you do approach a new piece of water, think about it, and instead make the flight changes where you're standing, when you're going to fish, rather than before you actually decide to move, you'll settle the water. And it's that first cost that's generally the most important. Other guys will... In fishing, they muck up the first bunch of costs and then they fix it up and it gets better afterwards. By that time, you've dragged the flies past the fish's nose a couple of times and he's less likely to take. It's critical to get that first cost done right. You keep speaking about that, uh, that soft touch and that you're always in touch with the flies. Is that how you're detecting the tape? It's an immediate reaction that you can feel the tape at the end of the line. You fish a th- thin fly line, it's more sensitive on your finger. Some of the guys do mono them finger. Mono them finger, in other words, mono instead of a fly line straight onto your finger. Mono has its advantages in that you have greater sensitivity, the lines to it. The downside of mono nymphing, in other words, not using any fly on is you are limited that you cannot make a longer cost. When I'm check nymphing, I sometimes do a slightly longer version where you will actually do a bit of a cost, put maybe five meters of fly on depending on what water you're trying to cover. Then it's important to have a line that floats nicely on top of the surface, and you can, with that shorter leader, still do a slightly longer drift. But if you tuck the flies, you have dense flies that get to the bottom, and then you pay attention to the fly line on top of the water. If you've seen pictures of my fly lines, they tend to be barred. The last foot and a half is barred. Every five centimetres or two inches, there's a one-inch black mark. Again, that wasn't standard on most flies. A lot of guys have picked up on it. The reason for that is that the human eye picks up movement. By barring the end of the fly line like that, you can see the coloured sections moving. So if a fish takes, you actually see the movement. Something that we picked up recently, and this comes from the competitive side, is the guys overseas, the Czechs have developed braided leaders, not braided loops. That's fine, but they've been using braided strike indicators. It's basically almost like a braided loop, but it's three colors. It goes from pink to green through yellow in the middle. And this they're putting in different sections of the fly line, or directly onto the fly line, or different sections of the leader, between the leader and the tippet section. And this you can grease up too, so you can do a longer distance, what they call French nymphing, where you have this indicator floating on the water surface. And that's more for delicate fishing that we don't really do here. But using that same principle, taking that same braided lead and putting it on the end of the fly line, you can actually grease that up and it is a lot more visible than a normal end of the fly line. And if you do a longer cast, it actually, if you do grease it up, can float. So then it acts as a strike indicator. Now that we've hooked the fish, and you say you've been fishing 10 foot rods, which is a longer lever, which makes it more difficult. How do you muscle your fish? I mean, you say you're fishing 5x for yellows, which is quite light. What is your landing and fighting approach to those fish? Normal tip is 4x. I will fish 5x if the situation demands it. The only time I ever really fish 3x anymore, and that's very seldom, would be in heavy structure, when I know that the fish are going to run into structure. Fighting fish, you've got to plan it up front. I never make a cast and don't know how I'm going to land the fish. I know pretty much any position that I start fishing in, I've already decided from where I'm standing where I'm going to land that fish, which is either going to be where I'm standing or potentially the bank if I have to move the bank. I've already decided where I'm going to land that fish. And that generally means I'll move to the bank if the water's fast and hard. Yellows run against pressure. Finished. I've had a situation, Herman will tell you years ago, we, I caught a fish on dry in the lip of a pool, right at dark. Set the hook, fish exploded. Fish ran downstream, it was dark. And this is early days prior to us really starting to fish a lot with headlamps on, which makes it a lot easier to get back and save your time, maximize your fishing. You can find your way back in the dark and it takes you less time to get back to the car, a couple more fish. And this fish ran straight down stairs, broken rapids. I stumbled and I gave a slack line. As soon as I gave a slack line, it stopped running. And I literally walked right up next to the fish, slack line, 
reeled right up next to the fish, stood where, where you are now, basically a meter away from the fish, reeled up, got just tension, pulled out the net, lifted the rod, stuck in it under the fish, and landed the fish. Total time elapsed, hooking the fish, two seconds, fish running downstream, three seconds, walking downstream off the fish, 15 seconds, and two seconds to land it. This fish had, hadn't done any fighting, it was just in the net. I didn't have to fight it. Was going to run against the pressure. A lot of guys, and I've seen guys fight yellows, and they pull and pull and pull. And, and I think I'm standing there, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a massive fish. And it turns out to be like a cage and a half yellow. At the same time that this guy's made a meal of a cage and a half yellow, I landed three fish, same size or bigger than what he's done. And purely because the guys pull against the fish. Yellows will run against that pressure. So if a yellow runs off upstream, downstream, doesn't really matter. He's running from that pressure. If you stop and give him a bit of slack line he'll actually go sit in the nearest pocket and you can literally walk right up next to it. Reel it up, lift the rod, and land that fish. Another thing is yellows and any fish. One, it can't swim in air. So you get its head to the surface, you pretty much got it done. So maximum pressure, okay? side strain if necessary, fighting fish with, when they, by cover or by trees. A lot of guys try to stop the fish from running into the trees. If I'm fishing up against a reed bank or under, uh, up by a tree, when I hook that fish, I straight away know, second I hook that fish, I drop the rod to the water and downstream and pull. If you try to pull against him, he's going to run straight into that cover. His tail's going to be hitting up against the line. He's going to go in. You can't stop him going in. If you can, you generally break off. If you plan up front to, as soon as that fish takes, you set the hook and you turn the rod downstream and pull downstream. The fish is likely to turn his head, and because you're pulling downstream, the current's flowing downstream, he's likely to actually turn downstream and swim downstream. You get him away from the cover. As soon as he's away from the cover, your problem's solved. He happens to be below him, which is a bit harder to land him. Otherwise, it's not a problem. One crucial issue that guys do, they fish with, either don't fish with a net or a net that's too small, and when the fish is close, instead of pulling in another meter of line through the rod and shortening the line out the rod tip, they try and land a fish with three meters of line out, which is, or four meters of line out, which is longer than the length of their rod, and they can't quite get the fish to them. They've got too much line. Put in a meter of line, a lot more control. You land the fish a lot faster. Okay, so you've covered check nymphing for yellows quite well. What are the species? I mean, we're going to check nymph for trout? Yes, you can check nymph for trout. The short line nymphing that most of the guys learn and do in this country on the vol, too coarse, too crude for trout. You're fishing lines that are too thick, flies that tend to be a lot, way too big. So yes, you can apply check nymphing for trout. And then you're talking about using leaders and tippets that go down to 6x, 7x, hell, even 8x. That's really small. Really thick. The flies tend to be a lot smaller. They can be big if necessary, but a lot of the fly sizes start at 10s and go down to 18s. You still use tungsten on some of the patterns, but three-weight rods, 10 foot, 9.5, 10 foot, three-weight rods, thinner tippets, finer tippets, lighter flies, and their approach and presentation makes a big difference. So what the guys learn in this country for short lining and how we check nymph in this country is too coarse and too crude to really do effectively on trout. Yes, you can find situations in any river where there is water that's appropriate to check nymph, but if you do it correctly and fish thinner tippets, you can check them trout efficiently in this country. But you tend to want more broken water, water with a bit of depth. A lot of our rivers tend to be small and light, so presentation and approach is an issue. And guys, if you check them for the way that most of the guys know to check them, they're not going to catch very many fish. The right water, yes, generally no. You want broken water, braided water, where careful approach has to be done, fishing thinner, thinner, thinner tippets, smaller flies. Yeah, I must say that I, I, I enjoyed fishing a slightly longer road in roads this year, and I was uh, getting the, the fly into the correct position more often, made it a lot more easy. 
What have we missed? What do we still need to cover? Have we covered everything there? I know it's a huge volume that we're trying to get through, but uh, a little bit that you might think that we might have missed? Check number thing is something that you have to practice. You can't just assume you're going to do it. Herman, in fact, said this year in the while he's going to actually spend time with me and learn to check them properly because he's avoided. He prefers not to do it, um, and it's lacking his repertoire. There's definitely situations where it can catch you a lot more fish than others. It lets you cover water efficiently. You fish the whole column. It's efficient and effective if done correctly. If you're just doing a chuck and chance, it's going to give you similar, similar results to a lot of other fishing methods. But someone who knows how to check them properly and does it in the right situations can outfish pretty much any other technique. You know, Gary, we could go on about this all night. Going to have to press us now, only because I know that uh, it's getting on a bit. Quick five favorites. Favorite dry fly? Parachute Adams. But, I have to be honest, Parachute Adams tied on the scud hook. The reason for this being that I'm, I think Mark said a clink hammer. Parachute Adams tied splayed tail on a dry fly hook, but a scud dry fly hook. Lets you chop the tail off and fish it as a clink hammer. Okay? I'm lazy, so I don't have any clink hammers in my box. Any clink hammer in my box was originally a parachute Adams tied on a scud hook, which has now had its tail chopped off to become a clink hammer. And of course tied with grizzly or grizzly dyed color hackle. Solid hackle doesn't imitate any movement. So you tie it with a grizzly hackle or grizzly dyed brown, grizzly dyed olive, and you get movement in the hackle. Favourite nymph? Favourite nymph, I guess, would have to be my Holo Tutor in different shades. It imitates all the mayfly patterns you pretty much want. Bit of Velcro, generally attached to the vest, and you brush it out. It imitates emerging mayfly, emerging caddis pupa. Awesome pattern, very variable, and you can fish with a bead, tungsten in the front. Favourite rod? Favourite rod, 10 foot 5 weight. You can pretty much go anywhere and fish almost anything with it when it comes to freshwater. 6 weight's a good choice if you're fishing a lot of dams, and you, I think a 10 foot 6 weight that you do largemouth, as well as do still water trout. 6 weight's the lightest line weight that they make a uh, DI-7 in. So if you really do serious booby fishing, that's a good choice. But alright, I think a 10 foot 5 weight covers the bases. Favourite venue? Very difficult to say, because I'd be torn between fishing remote little streams using Tiny flies, seven, eight eggs tippet for tiny trout with the sizes immature to the experience, or fishing the vol, check them for yellow. So for me, it's, it's the, the venue is less important than the experience. And some venues could produce awesome meal one day, other venues could produce awesome meal another day. Favorite species? I love brook trout. Now that sounds a bit strange, we haven't even mentioned brook trout, but I spent some time in 2006 for work in Wisconsin and got to fish for brook trout. And there's a fish, when if you convince him to eat your fly, he will do it with such such innocence that it really breaks your heart. And they're the prettiest trout out. I've got to say, I mean, oh, they're not a trout, they're a char, let's ignore that. They're the prettiest fish out there. Favourite technique? Upstream dry fly. I do a lot of dry and dropper, but upstream dry. Uh, Favourite gadget or gizmo? And you've only got a couple of minutes. It's, it's not really a, a gadget or a gizmo. It's just a modification to make life easier. Catch more fish. A number of years back, I actually started on the spec book fishing late nights, right till dusk in winter, when the spectrum fishes really well, but it can be difficult to see. I decided, hang on, I want a more visible fly. So rather than fish polyon wing posts on my parachutes, I went to Antron. Antron's more visible, floats better than polyon does, um, far more reflective. And then I actually managed to get all of a sudden bright rev, mumbo number five Antron, uh, from Frontier. First couple of sections they had, tied that in and Fire red is visible at dusk. When you can't see anything else, you can still see the wing post. A favorite movie, author, and book? Favorite movie is probably Heat. If you know Heat, it's a three-hour epic uh, remake of a 70s movie. It's pretty good. Favorite author? I like Terry Pratchett. 
I, I read a lot. I read 2,000 words a minute. So I've been able to get in the bath, read a book, get out of the bath when it's finished. Pratchett's good. If you know why, you know why. If you don't know why, read Pratchett. Interesting sightings in the river. I've seen leopard spur. I've had Lickavon swimming to my leg. I've caught two bats. Had dragonflies eat my dry fly. One <laughs> uh, that comes to mind recently, I don't know, New Zealand. Nongataha, a little stream that flows into Lake Rotorua. And Ralston and I walk up to fish this river in practice for the last worlds. And he goes, look, fish! It's like, well, yeah, there's another full pounder there, another full pounder there. How many fish do you want to see, Tim? <laughs> Tim has first shot at fish. Tim puts his, takes his dry fly out, flicks it up ahead of him. And he figures I wasn't paying attention. I was looking at the four and five pounder in front of me. He figures there's an eight pound fish materialized. He thinks it ate the dry fly. He's not too sure. He was in shock. I mean, that was just free. A river the size of the sand flowing through north of Joburg. In fact, the hell looks a lot like the sand. Probably more water in the sand river. Bigger the sand. This thing's just chock full of fish. You can't believe the size. Every season, the guys catch 12, 15 pound brown trout out of it. All expense paid trip anywhere in the world. Alaska. And they always want to go to Alaska. We're talking the whole bear, salmon, steelhead, massive brook trout, just eating everything. You know, I mean, fly-in experience. I guess Labrador and Canada would be great. I have to sing for book trout and catching an 8, 10-pound book trout would be good. But I think, I think Alaska in the right situation could be awesome. I mean, everything's there. Massive fish, massive bears. Just completely different experience. Fishing with bears behind you could make a difference. Thank you very much, Gary. I think we've learned a lot this evening. Thanks, Mike. They say you know life is given But I tell you now, it's all within that river You find yourself in the heart of heaven Clothes off so long, you could swim forever one place to rest your grace, the silver sands lead the way The water's golden, stories told, free clouds sapphire summer days One way to spend your day, take yourself, leave right away Drive six hours and walk five days, hey, hey, hey